today we are going to talk about the reality we live in that is post-resurrection. The reality that we live in a time in history and the earth where there is a risen Savior that is active in our world. And we're going to go straight to the source. We're going to go to a first-hand source. One of the disciples wrote what happened. We're going to talk about what happened, why it happened, and what it means for you today. And I'm going to pray. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the opportunity to read the word and learn from it. I am just a human, and I need your help. And I pray that you teach me tonight and teach the students what you have to teach. And um, guide me. Um, guide us through everything we're talking about. And I pray for the hearts out there that are looking for hope, that are longing for hope, uh, that they find hope tonight. So in Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Matthew 28. Like I said, this is a first-hand source. This is someone who was alive when this happened and wrote it down. Matthew 28, chapter, one, or chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath of the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow, and the guards were so afraid they went into shock. The angel said to the women, hey, don't be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Last week we talked about Jesus wasn't surprised about this whole thing, that the Bible was all about what was happening, just like he said. Come and see the place where he lay. I love how they're like, hey, don't just take our word for it. Come see it. Come see the empty tomb. Check it out. And then go tell people, I said, then go quickly and tell the disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. I kind of like that where the, what did the angel just look up and go, I think I'm done. <laughs> now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Could you imagine the emotions they're feeling? And they ran to the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings. I like this because I want you to think about this. If you had died, raised from the dead, and ran into your friends, what would the first thing you, you would say would be? You know, like, hey, <laughs> what's up? Most of you, if, if I were you, I would hide behind a rock, like watching him and go, boom. <laughs> and like, but you are dead. Okay, so I like his choice here. I like his choice here. Greetings. Very classy, Jesus. Very classy. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid that this is not real. Or don't be afraid that all the promises I made aren't true. I'm here. Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they'll see me. So while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. So they're running in saying, okay, so there's this really scary thing. And it rolled away the tomb, and nothing was in there. And now I think we might die. And the chief priests got together, made a plan, and they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. They bought them off, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while he was asleep, while you were asleep, excuse me. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated to this very day. Interesting. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when he saw them, 
uh, when, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Isn't that interesting? So you think, like, man, if only I could see Jesus, like, that would make it so much easier. There are people looking at the resurrected Jesus still doubting. Isn't that interesting? Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's proven it. He had the power to raise from the dead. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's like, I am going to save you. I'm going to save people that know about me. I'm going to do this, but you need to go tell them about me. I want to save the world. Invite them on this journey. Invite them into this, and then show their commitment, and they can show their commitment by baptizing, by being baptized, just like I was. It represents my death, burial, and resurrection. the page on me. And then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love how one of the versions says, and as you do this, I will be with you day after day after day until there are no more days. I love that. So we're talking about the resurrection and what it means. There's a lot of evidence and there's a lot of scholarly writings about the resurrection. If you would like to read them, you can. There's a lot of people looking at this and studying this. It's not just this mystery that nobody's trying to uncover or talk about. And I wanted to show you one that kind of summed up everything that I'd done in research. It's from this guy named Sir Lionel Luckhu. Sounds official, right? This guy is a Guinness Book of World Records record holder for being on trials and, and uh, of defense murder trial acquittals, he had 255 successful cases where he proved someone wasn't guilty of a crime they were accused of. He's a Guinness Book of World Record holder for this, and he says, and, and it's saying that this, this quote shows the encouragement and the confidence that Christians should have. He says, I've spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer appearing in many parts of the world and am still in active practice. I've been fortune, fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials, and I say unequivocally, saying like without a doubt, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. It's not my words, his. And he's pretty good at investigating things. So I wanted to just give you that little, little piece of information there. So why did it happen? Why did the resurrection happen? Why did it have to happen? What does it mean to you? Why it has to happen first? I have three. There's many reasons why it needed to happen. The first is atonement. It's the repaying for something that went wrong. The whole reason that Jesus came to this earth was, was put to death and resurrected was all for you. And last week we talked about when sin entered the picture for you, there was this bounty, this price that was placed on your head for a perfect life. And atonement means that Jesus stepped in and he paid that for you. That it was paid in full. I use this illustration kind of, kind of frequently, but I'm going to use it again. It's as if you had a report card for life. And, and, and you walk into the scene and you're failing in every front because of sin. And Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection also has a report card, and it's filled with A's, A pluses. And in this situation, he gives you the opportunity to trade him. You get to hand him all your L's, and you get to receive all his A pluses, and then you get to take that home to God one day. And you need to go, here's my report card. And it says Jesus at the top, and he goes, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. 
That's what atonement means. Rights or wrongs made right. Romans 6, 23 reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Peter 2, 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. In Isaiah 53, this was one of the prophecies that we were talking about last week. It was over 600 years before Jesus stepped foot on this planet. People were writing about what was going to happen. It says, but the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, but that God was punishing him for his failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. The resurrection had to happen, so the check cleared. The payment cleared to show that that payment was accepted. Have you ever swiped a card at like Walmart? And there's this moment where it says, payment processing. That was like, this is a lame metaphor, but that was Jesus in the grave. There's this moment where it's like payment processing. And then the resurrection is when that terminal said, payment approved. And the resurrection had to happen so you could have confidence that the amount you owed was paid for in full, accepted and approved by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, next. One of the reasons why it needed to happen is because your worst enemy had to be defeated. Death had to be defeated. Death is an obvious and haunting reality that is such a part of this human experience. All of humanity has either been affected by or has experienced pain of death in some sort of way. A tragedy it is. A hopelessness it seems to carry. Death seemed to be the end all. Nobody's gone there and came back and lived to tell the tale, right? And it was like up until that point, death had been the period at the end of the sentence. It had been da-da-da-da-da, boom, you're done. But Jesus took that period and made it a comma. Now, this might not be the most grammatically beautiful sentence, and it might be a complete thing, I don't know, but I want you to see this lived out. Okay, so the first one, go ahead and click. Yeah, Tiffany lived a good life, period. That's it. Tiffany's done. Period. Jesus added a comma to the sentence, and I want, to, I want you to see the difference. Tiffany lived a life believing in Jesus, comma, and then. It's not the end to the sentence. It's not the end to the experience. It's not the end to your reality. Jesus died and raised back to life, not to solidify only that God's power was over this earth, but that it was completely over life itself. Death is the most powerful force that humans can't defeat and can't avoid. But here's Jesus, and through the resurrection, he showed that death can be defeated, but it's only through him and him alone. Only through him and him alone. In John eleven twenty five, this is Jesus telling exactly how it is. He's showing you the confidence he has in his defeating of death, his power over death. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, he's talking to someone in context in that day, but I think he's also talking to you. And he's also talking to me. He's saying, do you believe this? Because if you do, it'll change your whole life, especially the ending. (laughs) 
And it sounds so good. It sounds so satisfying to defeat death, right? I think as humans, one of our main goals in life, whether it is instinctively or purposefully, we wake up in the morning and we go, okay, don't die today. Like that's just something we try to do, right? That's something, that's one of our goals. Okay, today, if you did anything today, you can lay down in bed and you can close your eyes and go, I didn't die. That's a goal of humanity. It's something that we long for. And here's Jesus saying, believe and you'll never die. What does that mean? How does that work? And it sounds so good. It sounds so good that it sounds too good to be true. That's because the resurrection fulfills the deepest hopes of humanity. The deepest hopes that you never knew you had. The deepest hopes of humanity, even for an atheist, I was thinking about this, even for someone who rejects God, doesn't only and truly lie in the idea, my life is meaningless and someday I'll die and none of it matters. They, they at least, someone who rejects God at least puts their hope in maybe something that outlasts death like their money or, or their name or their fame or their legacy. They're hoping some piece of them extends out beyond death. Even someone who rejects God, they try to think of beyond death at some point. But I want you to see that by definition, that's not really hope. There's no real hope there. It's just kind of like, well, period. Tiffany has lived a good life, period, done. But church, I want to talk to you tonight, especially people who say, I follow Jesus, and especially people who say, I follow Jesus on their Instagram and on their Snap and on their Facebook and all that stuff. You have to love these people. You have to love these people that reject God. And you need to serve them. And you need to love them. Why? Because they don't have the hope that you have. And they feel it every day. I'm sure of it. And you need to love them and you need to serve them. Why? Because you might be the only Bible that they ever read. Your actions might be the only Bible they ever read. What are you showing them? Are you showing them that hope in Jesus really does change a life? Or are you showing it it's all a sham? It's like, nah, they still keep trash in their life. <laughs> Why would I want that? Right? That should be some motivation to you. Now, Jesus, Jesus' spirit does all the heart changing and all the saving. You don't have to worry about that. But you have some responsibility in presenting the hope of Jesus to the world, right? Love those people. Quit judging those people. Whenever you see the headline, quit judging those people and love those people because they need hope. And then you have the people who say, well, they're not sure about the whole God thing. They're like, maybe. I hope so. I don't, I don't know. I just, I never really decided about it. More agnostic about the whole thing. Their biggest hope in life is a maybe. You see that? Their biggest hope is maybe there's something. Maybe there's something on the other end of death. Maybe there's some sort of eternal life that gives me joy. I don't know. I've lived that. That's where I was before Jesus saved my soul. Maybe some of you are there right now. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe, I don't know, maybe. My hope is in maybe, and maybe it's pretty weak. These people are so ready to hear the gospel because they're ready to hear hope. They're ready to hear that there's something beyond it because they're willing to see it. And once they hear it and they see that there's actually some hope in the situation, they go, oh my God, yes. Oh my God, save me, save me. Yes, absolutely. 
And then you have Christians, people who look to Jesus for meaningful, purposeful life that lasts, that one day there will be no more crying and no more tears and no more pain and no more death. These people look to the resurrection as a fulfillment of that hope. The one who believes in God should look at Easter and go, thank God. Because for what they hoped for came true. I want you to see this. I want you to imagine that you're in a desert. And you can feel the dryness in your mouth and the dryness on your lips and your eyes. And you're just hoping to escape. And in the horizon, you see a mirage. And you go, oh my gosh. And you start walking towards that thing. And your hope starts building. And your hope starts building. And you arrive at the mirage. And you bend down. And you start to plunge your face into it. And all of a sudden, water washes your face. And in that moment, you are oversatisfied. You are absolutely satisfied. Why? Because what you hoped for became a reality. So is something for people who are looking at the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. They're saying, yes, what I was hoping for is a reality. It's not a maybe and it's not a no, it's a yes. It's like water on the face of a desert wanderer. The hope became a reality. Sin is paid for, death is defeated. There's this hope that's splashing you on the face that's waking you up and calling you something that's greater. And death doesn't hold you down anymore. And you have a hope beyond a maybe. (laughs) And God knows you needed it. God knows I needed it. Isaiah 25, 7 through 9 says, On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. On the mountain they're talking about, They're talking about where he was crucified, where he was buried, where he he rose from the dead. He'll destroy the shroud. A shroud is a wrap for dead people. It's what they wrap dead people in in the day. He'll destroy the shroud that enfolds all the people, the sheet that covers all the nations, all people. And he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is Jesus. So why does it matter for you today? What does it mean for you today? I hope tonight you see that you live in a completely different reality now. That post-resurrection, post-Easter living on this earth where Easter happened, changes your reality. Because no, no more do you have to go, that's not, it's not even a thing. No, it is a thing. People are studying it every day. It is a thing. What are you going to do about it? Well, maybe. Do you want something beyond a maybe? Is your maybe working out for you? Is your maybe giving you peace at night? Or are you wondering about things as you drive at night? Or as you lay in bed at night staring at the ceiling? You live in a new reality where there is hope. And that hope has been solidified in the resurrection of Jesus. You're free from your future and your past sin. You're free. And not only that, but you have God walking with you now. This opportunity of this reality is God with you. And you can move through life with God by your side, not in some distant foreign thing. He's with you in spirit and in truth. And sometimes he might be carrying you. And sometimes you might be leaning on him. Sometimes he might be pushing you. 
but he's there through all your failures and all your troubles. This last part, I'm going to conclude with this. I'm going to conclude with some writings from a guy named M.J. Wilkins. I want you to close your eyes because I want to paint this picture for you of the new reality, the new reality you live in. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we then have the power to accomplish anything to which Jesus calls us, controlling our temper, overcoming addictions, remaining faithful to our commitments, maintaining patience with family and friends. Whatever in life comes our way, living a life following the risen Jesus includes the power to accomplish it. Living life in faith includes the power to do what you're called to do. Whether it is the illness of a parent or the death of a child or a battle with cancer, the empty tomb puts all our sorrow into perspective. When we know that because Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow and plan for an eternity, a comma, not a period. The lasting impacts of the resurrection are like nothing else on earth. It is the concrete, factual, empirical proof that life has hope and meaning. That love is stronger than death. That goodness and power are ultimate allies, not enemies. Life wins in the end. God has touched us right where we are and has defeated our final enemy. And we are not cosmic orphans as our modern secular worldview would make it. And you can see the real life impact of all of this by comparing the disciples before and after the resurrection. Before the resurrection, they ran away. They denied their master. They huddled behind locked doors and fear and confusion. But after, after they were transformed from scared rabbits into confident believers, world-changing missionaries, courageous men and women that faced death itself, I want you to think about it. How would it change your life tonight if you believe in a power of resurrection? the power of resurrection, that Jesus is alive and active and walking with you day by day by day, step by step by step. And you don't have to fight your way out of an impending death. How would it change your life tonight if you had the confidence in a Savior with His power that calls you His son, His daughter, Think of the promises he makes you. Until we start singing, I want your eyes closed and you thinking about that. And I dare you to pray. I dare you to pray. Hi, my name is Shauna Hansen. I accepted Christ when I was four or five years old in a room that I shared with all three of my sisters. And kind of from that moment, I knew that I was a believer. I knew that I believe that Christ died for my sins. But when you're five years old, you don't quite understand what that all means. As I grew older and we had a lot of hard things happen and car accidents and um, hospitalizations, I started um, to turn from this really bubbly girl into one that was very serious. And I would try to hide my emotions because I didn't want to be hurt by anything that was going around me. 
and I started um, to really focus on um, my studies and sports and um, measuring up to my siblings was I good enough and in high school like that's all I thought about was like am I measuring up I just I didn't realize I felt that way until later as I started to talk to people that cared about me that maybe there was something more maybe it was more about grace and I've been preached grace the whole time but I never understood what it meant until I give grace to others but I would never give it to myself one reason I found it hard to accept grace is because um, I felt like I had to earn it. Um, always grew up, you know, with parents that say hard work will get you everywhere, and I don't think they intentionally meant for me to take it, like that there was no grace. But um, I always felt like I had to attain something for to gain acceptance. And as I went up these different levels, that God would like almost love me more, which sounds ridiculous, but. Um, when I really get reminded that God died for me and it's a free gift and you just have to take it, I think that was kind of the breaking point for me. Like, I'm not God and therefore I can't earn it and anything I do has no way can even measure to what He has done for me. There was just a couple of dark moments in my life where I thought, again, that I was completely worthless and never going to get anywhere. and. Um, I was someone that just spoke in my life and said, like, God has got you, He believes in you, He sings over you. And it was kind of from there, it was like a wake-up call of just me acknowledging that God is God and I don't need to know the reason why something happened to me, just as much as that I know that God is there and um, that He loves me. I don't know, I just think about how I would be if I didn't have the hope. I think I would be so depressed that I wouldn't even know where to go. And so I think about how much joy God has put into my life. And I honestly don't know where I'd be without being able to pray to Him um, and to sing to Him and to read His Word. I, also, I always notice when I'm not reading His Word because then when I do, it's like the light bulb goes on and I feel refreshed and like there's water over my soul. And I can see looking back on my life how the different um, little puzzle pieces have been put together to put me in the position I am today. And I don't always understand the path He takes me on, and I often question why. But then He always goes back and says, it's because I'm bringing you here, and for a reason and for a purpose. And I think also knowing that I have a purpose and that I can be a leader, um, I think God gives us all abilities. And just knowing that I don't have to hide who I am, that I can stand out and know that He's created me the way I need to be. And I can use those gifts to help bless others because of what He's done for me and not to puff up my own image, but to point everything back to Him. Without Christ, like, your inside is just dying and you don't know what to do. And you may think I'm crazy for believing in a God that you can't see, but if you look outside just for a moment, I think you really see the beauty and um, just the detail of what's going on around you. And if you even paused and thought about it, you know that there's a God out there that cares about you and I can't create anything on my own, and there's gotta be someone out there that does. That's what I got. <laughs> That's what I got. <laughs>